Hi there, it's Nick here. Thanks so much for your continued support of the Nick Luck Daily Podcast. Wherever you consume your podcast, it is great to have you with us. I would alert you again to the racing app which is your one-stop shop and the easiest place now to download the show each and every morning as soon as it's ready. Many of you are doing so already, and that's not just because you can get access to all 880 episodes of this show, and very easily as well, but you can also watch live races. You can watch all the replays, and you can stream in the card with an active Fitstairs account. So do download it now, uh, the racing app. It's your one-stop shop and you will be able to catch up on all the previous episodes of your favourite daily racing podcast. You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show, Tuesday, November the 28th, and I'm delighted to say the sun is shining bright in the sky over TW11 today. It's a cold, frosty morning, but what does that bring with it? It brings with it the danger of racing being abandoned, and we've got some wonderful sport here in Great Britain at the weekend to look forward to at Newbury and Newcastle. So before we launch into today's podcast, when you're going to hear from Paul Nichols, from Huey Morrison, from equine behavioural specialist Gary Witherford, from Sean Kinsella, of Knockhouse Stud and from Ramiro Restrepo about the retirement of Kentucky Derby winner Mage. Let's check out conditions at the two big venues in Britain this weekend and we'll start with Newbury and new clerk of the course, George Hill. Uh, George, what's the situation with you? Well, at the moment, Nick, we're, um, you know, we, we, we had a kind of five million total yesterday, just over five million total yesterday, a couple of showers uh, yesterday afternoon and it's it looks... Uh, that's be dry today and then obviously as you mentioned the, the forecast is changing as we head in towards the weekend um so we've took the decision we're gonna we're gonna fleece up the cover up the entire track um uh tomorrow uh ahead of the, the cold spell coming in we're gonna get down now yeah we don't want to obviously take any chances and, and the forecast is uh you, you know, the, the, even the forecasters aren't sure how it's going to pan out. Originally, we were looking at uh, the kind of wintry showers, which looks like it's kind of gone now, and uh, that means we'll just we know it's fairly certain to be cold. So we're, we're going to cover up and uh, for for Friday's meeting, and then we will uh, do another good team effort and, and cover up straight after racing on Friday for for Saturday. You know what the ground is now. What do you reckon you'll be calling it first first race Friday? At the moment, we're good to soft on the chase course and good to soft, soft on places on the hurdle track. So if it stays dry, uh, you know, I'd imagine it, it, it might just ride a fractionally bit quicker than, than, than it does now. So it's not going to do a whole lot of dry now in those kind of temperatures, but it'll ride, probably ride a bit dead. But, uh, you know, for... For, for for this time of year, with the, the, the conditions we have, kind of mostly good to soft conditions, is kind of ideal, uh, really, where we want to be at. And we're very used to seeing these boutique sales at the big fixtures now. Goffs are, are taking over at Newbury this weekend. Yeah, we're very, very excited. We've teamed up with, uh, uh, with Goffs, and we're going to have a, a very select point to point sale on Saturday after, uh, after racing inside the winner's enclosure. 
obviously we're kind of used to seeing different styles after racing at, at, at big meetings now. It's kind of a common theme, but we were excited. It's obviously kind of new for for Newbury and new new for the Carl Gold Cup meeting. And uh, Carl are also very excited to have it as part of their sponsorship. So. All in all, we're, we're we're looking forward to having between fifteen and twenty nice horses uh, to go to auction. Okay, so what news at Newcastle then? Eloise Quails, the the clerk there. Eloise, it's going to get cold. How cold? It is. I mean, at the minute, we're looking like we're flitting in and around zero. Um, our worst temperature is tonight, initially at minus two. But obviously, we are well off the the actual date, and the forecast can change. So we are deploying full full frost protection as of today we'd, we'd put the black sheets down on the landings and takeoffs and the, of the fences and the crossings yesterday just to try and keep some of that residual ground temperature in in the in the soil um and then going forward we're going to be obviously fleecing today and keeping our fingers crossed i suppose there's not a lot else we can do but um it's looking hopeful at this stage as long as the forecast doesn't worsen i would be optimistic so full coverage full coverage everywhere yes Excellent. full coverage belt and braces if you and if you could get constitutional and uh, the mercurial shishkin then you'll have more eyeballs on you than just about anywhere else i think Yes, it would be very exciting to have them both. Obviously, I think um, the decisions are still yet to be made regarding Shishkin, um, but it would be absolutely incredible to have two of the highest rated national and horses at Newcastle on Saturday. But uh, again, it's all got to fall into place and hopefully the weather behaves and, and it all goes to plan. Eloise Quayle there from Newcastle. More about Shishkin Constitution Hill in a moment. First of all, though, back to Newbury and to the Coral Gold Cup this weekend's big feature handicap. And amongst the favourites at the moment is Complete Unknown. For Paul Nichols, another big Saturday at this time of year means another big Saturday for him and plenty of reflections to follow on what happened last weekend. But first of all, Paul, I'm suggesting he might not be a complete unknown uh, by the end of, of Saturday afternoon. We think he's got a lovely chance. Um, yeah, he's had a good preparation in one well at Newton Abbott on his debut this season. That was a while back. We just like was always going to be his stepping stone to this. And um, yeah, we're very happy with him. He worked nicely around there last week with Hermes Allen. Um, wouldn't want the ground getting any faster. Really good. The soft is perfect. Um, look, he ran very well at, uh, at entry on on the same surface when he was second to Jerry Colombi. He was struggling a little bit with his breathing last season. Had an op in the summer. Uh, like, you know, most decent horses that need to go on, on ground just wouldn't want it fast, you know? It's another wave of horses coming out this weekend. Apart from him, who are you most looking forward to running? Well, I've got some nice horses to run there Friday. Hermes, Alain in the Novice Chase and Golden Sun possibly in, in the Handicap. They're both nice horses. Um, yeah, lots of entries this weekend. So, you know, so, as you said, another big weekend. Just hope they keep running as well as they have done. And just reflection on on Brave Man's game. I I, I don't know why he's probably about the most debated horse in training. Uh, if you kind of strip away all the chat, what what do you see and where are you going? Well, he's always fairly consistent. You know, he's run a good another solid race on Saturday. You perhaps argue he got outstayed from the back of the second last. Really, I just thought watching that game, he didn't travel quite with his normal zest. We thought he'd improved a lot from um, Weatherby, and Scott was very pleased with him, uh, which you always listen to. But I just thought Saturday he was just, I don't know, a little bit flat. But you know, can't keep making excuses for him. He ran a good, solid race. Kempton will suit him better. We got a month today to get him fresh and well and do something different with him. So, yeah, we're looking forward to that. I mean, do you still firmly believe he's your number one for the King George? 
yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, Pictori would be your neighbour deputy, but Pictori um, is probably better middle distance. So, you know, any other one I'm likely to run would be Frodon. So you don't think you'll run Pictori in the in the King George? I, I wouldn't have thought so because like Harry is quite is obviously quite important to him. Um, I I can't see those two clashing at the moment, but um, you know there are plenty of other races for Pictori. But you know it's a month away, Nick. I haven't had a chance to speak to Johnny yet and have a good chat in depth. Um, we're just you know I mean yeah obviously of course it's an option. He's in the race. We just you know I have I I haven't really got that far ahead yet. So we, my task is to get both horses back to their best. I thought Pictori was a bit flat on Saturday. I don't think he enjoyed the Grand quite as quick yeah. as it was. He's a big horse and he probably wants plenty more cutting it now. Um, so you really it's my task now to get those horses back in really top form and then we'll make some plans near the time. I, I yeah I, I I was inclined to agree with you. I was wondering what you were going to say about that. Um, did you allow? I know you, of course you want every horse to win all the time, but after all what I've been chatted about last week, did you allow yourself a wry smile at the idea of Harry Cobden going four for four at Ascot and actually he wouldn't have ridden a winner at Haydock? Well, of course I did. You know, I had a lot of confidence in those horses going to Ascot and. Um, you know, Harry is very important to pick Dory, and I, I gave my word three weeks ago to Johnny that Harry would turn up at Asker, and I wasn't going to change on my word. And I had no pressure for any owners from Johnny or from Brian. Brian was happy with uh, Daryl um, going going there, so it, it, it didn't it didn't matter too much, um, and it worked out great for Harry. So you know, it, it was a good decision all round. And sometimes you've got to make tough decisions. At the end of the day, it's down to me, and I got it right on Saturday. It sounds like you've got a few nappies to change, so I better let you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cheers, good man. Cheers, Paul. Bye. Bye. So you're pretty well up to speed with what's going on at the weekend. That was Paul Nichols. This is Jonathan Harding, a Racing Post award-winning writer. Uh, Jonathan, you've listened to Paul Nichols. There is he going to win another major Saturday prize? Do you think? You can certainly see the argument, can't you, for complete unknown? He's he's got a nice weight. He's a really progressive type. You know, he's he's not really been in too many of these big field handicaps. That would be one of my concerns. He was in a 17-runner novice handicap hurdle at Sandown, but we all know this is a, a different kettle of fish. But he does just look like the type to me. As long as the ground doesn't go against him, I think he'll he'll have a brilliant chance. And a certain Jerry Colomb's boosted some of his uh, back form as well. So, yeah, I think he's a deserved favourite at this point. What did you make of Nichols's comments? First of all, about Brave Man's game. Second, about Pick Dory. And third, about the general level of chitter-chatter that there was last week. Take him in that order. Well, I think with Brave Man's game, it's what we've come to expect from Nichols. He doesn't shy away from defeat. He will front up. He's not one to make excuses, as he said there. I think he just... I think his take on it is a brave man's game probably wasn't quite at a hundred percent but there aren't really any excuses beyond that and he just slightly got outstayed I think he's spot on to say that Kempton will suit him a lot better he looks to me like yeah if you could almost make a King George winner in a lab he'd be like that in terms of his running style I'm not sure I'm not entirely convinced though he ran brilliantly in the Gold Cup last season that he's quite got the stamina at this stage and for that extra little bit in the gold cup and going up the hill but you know I think he's fairly um, phlegmatic isn't he he's still got a very good horse in his hand and if you're looking at a trainer to bring a horse back and train them for a big race we know that he's got the capabilities to do that so I wouldn't be surprised to see a, a different brave man's game in the King George yeah he, he, he appears Sorry. to be phlegmatic I suspect he's not 
he's not terribly phlegmatic in truth but i know i know what you're saying he just kind of moves on and gets on with the next thing it did strike me before we talk about pick dory that if you run these horses say a lot say six or eight times a campaign horses form is generally cyclical they will come in and out of of being able to peak they're not going to be able to peak every single time so even the great ones like corto star if he wants six or seven races in a year two or three of those would be less good than three of the others you know, horses generally kind of have waves where they're in really peak condition and waves where they're just running okay um, relative to, to their standard. So if you only give a horse three runs a season, you can probably ensure that it it nearly ensure with efficient training methods that you can get it to peak on each of those occasions. If you run a horse more than that, then sometimes it's going to run, as he said, without that, that customary zest. And sometimes I just think we overcomplicate the game. Interesting what he said about Pictori, wasn't it? That he wasn't actually that impressed with him. And then he wouldn't run in the King George. Yeah, really interesting because it looked to me as though he he would be a sort of a live outsider for the King George and give Harry Cobden a bit of a headache given he's he's so important to the horse. I can see the argument because he he hasn't really run over. He's run over two mile, five furlongs. It, it would be a, a bit of a leap to suggest he'd get three, but if he's going to get three anywhere, it would be at Kempton. It would be in the King George, a nice flat track. I like the idea he wasn't entirely impressed with him, but he still won by 16 lengths. Uh, okay, he, Shishkin made life a lot easier for him, you'd imagine, but um, he certainly learned a lot at Ascot in terms of the ground and the trip. So I think there's there's some big races to be run with him over those sort of middle distances. Uh, and what about his comments about Harry Cobden and the fact that now we learn that he'd made an assurance to Johnny Delahaye several weeks ago and that he wasn't going to go back on that? I mean, it's it, it's nice to hear a trainer be that sort of, not defensive is the wrong word, but on the front foot and defend his decisions and kind of draw clear lines in the sand. I, I sense it did irritate him a little bit, the line of questioning about will Cobden keep the ride on Brave Man's game? Because for him, he's he's made a decision and he fancied his runners at Ascot and it, there was less to it than perhaps was being um, read into from outside. The flip of that is they're perfectly reasonable questions to ask. And if your stable jockey's being moved away from riding your stable star, um, it's quite right to ask those questions. But I'm sure he feels a little bit vindicated there because, um, yeah, it was something that he had to answer in the week more than once. And the fact that it worked out well for Harry Cobden going to Ascot, I'm sure he'll be he'll be pleased with that. He got that one right. Yeah. Um, I'm sure other times it won't go quite so well, but he'll probably take those in, in similar style. He'll know He'll know only too well that it's he, you're in a damn sight stronger position as a trainer having powerful owners that want your stable jockey and demand the stable jockey rather than having your powerful owners all clutching together and bitching about whoever it happens to be that they don't think is good enough to ride their horses. I mean, I don't think it was easy down there when you know uh, owners didn't want, say, Sam Thomas or... You know anyone else who came after Ruby Walsh, you know Daryl Jacob or Sam Twiston Davis or whoever it might have been, and maybe even Harry Cobden in the early days. You know Cobden now has worked himself into a position like Walsh was in in his heyday. All the owners want him. You're in a much better position like that than the other way around. No, absolutely. And what was interesting is he said that there was no sort of there was no real pressure from either owner. Um, you know, this is a yard where they do have faith in Nichols. He is the man calling the shots. You can imagine. I'm sure there are a few owners who do like things a certain way and do like to, you know, they will like certain jockeys, they will have their own ideas about running plans, but you do get the impression that 
Nichols is in charge here. Um, and like you say, his life is made so much easier by the fact he's got a stable jockey who is riding out of his skin at the moment. Um, so why wouldn't you want him? So if the Nichols show rolls on to Newbury this weekend, the Henderson show very much rolls up to Newcastle, provided Eloise Quayle's optimism is well-founded. Constitution Hill in the fighting fifth hurdle uh, we'll hear about one of his main challenges in a few moments' time, but perhaps more interesting and more watchable will be Shishkin and whether he starts if he goes to top weight in the rehearsal chase, which appears to be the, the sketched plan at the moment to atone for being a very naughty boy uh, at Ascot on Saturday. I've been speaking to uh, equine behavioural specialist Gary Witherford, who has done more work than anybody else in terms of uh, remedying horses' major issues, getting them in the stalls, uh, barrier trials, and so forth. Uh, I've been asking him what he thought uh, of Shishkin on Saturday and what he would do if he was given him as a blank canvas. I mean, at, at the, from the start of a horse, when, when he starts his career, everything to, is to get the horse to go forward. Um, and by that age, you either use a long, like a, what we call a long tom, but it's more of a, like a schooling whip, just to encourage the horse to go forward. But basically, hold it behind his shoulder and he will go forward. I'm not saying that you have to hit it or anything like that, but the fact that it's behind the shoulder, it will, it will, it will teach the horse to go forward. And I think with the... He, he had cheek pieces on for the first time as well, you know. So he can't see anybody from behind. All he can see is, is you know, those cheek pieces at the side where he can't see no one behind to help him to go forward. So, so actually, you think the cheek pieces might have been to his detriment as regards starting the race. They might have helped him to apply himself through the race. But actually, in terms of the start, it actually might have had a, ca a counterbalancing impact. Definitely. Definitely, because he can't see anything from behind him. All he can do is see see what uh, a lot of horses when you put blinkers on for the first time, you know that they they don't. You'll hear they don't. They didn't face the blinkers, you know, because they they like horses' vision. You know, they can see ninety five percent around them. All of a sudden, you, you put a set of blinkers or or cheek pieces on them, and they can only see like we can see. So you're taking away their 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 sights basically. Let's go back to this long tom point because the BHA have removed the use of that from from the assistant starter. They they actually called it a hunting crop, which might be a bit misleading because um, what I understand to be a long tom is something slightly different. And when you're lunging a horse, as you say, you're not you're not hitting a horse. You're you're just using the aid to to keep driving them forward uh, away from uh, away from your 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 hand. Exactly. So you're sending the, the whole point of when you're starting a horse for the first time is to get the horse to be moving forward. Keep it moving forward. Keep it, you know, listening to you. Because again, if you know, it's, it's to do with your body uh, um, as well. You know, your body will be walking towards the shoulder of the horse to encourage the horse to go forward. And you know, we're, we're just getting on 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 Saturday. You know, I saw the, the assistant starter. He couldn't see her just waving her hand just to say, go on, you've got to go, you've got to go. So he's not only is he facing, not facing the, uh, the cheek pieces, he can't see the, the encouragement to go forward either. So you would... The thing he can do is, is stop. So, the, the, so if you were going to advise Nicky Henderson, you'd say take the cheek pieces off and then what, <clears throat> what could you do at the start to replicate what... 
hopefully taking the cheek pieces off, he'll see the assistant starter just walking him, walking towards him because he's been racing a long time. He knows more about the game than we do, you know. So he 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 knows what's going on, and he's been used to that. You know, he's been used to the horse uh, assistant starter going forward you know, towards him as the jump off occurs. All right. So, is there anything more fundamental that can be that can be done to get inside his head, or is he too far down the road now? No, I think there's there's plenty of things to to try out. You know, I, I you know, hey, who am I here to argue with with the great Nicky Henderson? You know, he's he's proved his you know he's got horses back from 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 you know from the end. You know, and you think you know that horse will never come back from that, but that has come back from that. You know, so. He, you know, he, I'm sure he'd be working towards it. But one of the first thing I would do is either, you know, take the take the cheap pieces off him again and uh, and, and see how that works with him. Uh, and he can see that someone's coming behind him, you know, to send him forward. But you're not there. You're not there to scare the horse. You're just there to encourage the horse to go forward, as the as the you know as the line goes up in front of him. But you've dealt with enough horses over time. You've dealt with ones that stand stock still in the stalls, stand stock still at the start. Can you really turn? Can you turn them round completely, or not? Um, once a horse has lost his flight mechanism, which is you know when you see a lot of these horses that stand in the stalls and they stand still, that's the, that's that's them. They're herd animals. They're, they're they're supposed to run together, you know. And once that horse has lost his jumping ability, as in from the set of stalls, and it just stands there and doesn't want to come out of the stalls, which which we've all seen it's 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 hard and you might get two or three runs out of them afterwards but they they normally it happens again that was gary witherford renowned as the as the leader in the uk if not the world in terms of getting recalcitrant horses to do things that they might not otherwise want to do i mean take the cheap pieces off was his obvious suggestion but i was a bit more concerned jonathan with his overall assessment of of the horse's likely future prospects, yeah, I think a, a sympathetic reading is that the cheap pieces didn't help him, and actually, you give him the benefit of the doubt. You take those off, uh, something a little bit more like a normal routine with a normal start, and you'd hope to see a normal shishkin. But there is always that nagging doubt, and there will be until he runs and sets off successfully again in a race that he's an older horse, he knows the game and has his own ideas about it. Um, that's always been the case with, with Shishkin to an extent, but he's never had a, a, an issue like this before. So it's, it's just a, a nervous way, isn't it, for connections now to see whether it is a recurring issue. It's always going to be in the back of your mind until it isn't and it's not a problem. But um, yeah, it's a slight waiting game on that one. I'd be a little bit surprised. I'm slightly torn. I don't know what you think about whether he will run in this race. I mean, there aren't too many options for him, but the idea of him lugging all of that weight in a race like the rehearsal chase, it's been done. Long press, obviously, one off top weight, but it's not a very Nicky Henderson thing to do to make a, a real classy horse do that. But his hands might be tied, of course. But they just need to get him to jump off, don't they, and enjoy himself. That's That's... Priority number one, and I guess he doesn't want to try that in the King George. He's worried about the start at Kempton. He's worried about the three mile start at Kempton because it's pointing in he thinks in the in the wrong wrong direction for him to start. And I guess he just wants to get a good experience into him. And I think the weight's irrelevant, really. I, I kind of think he's going to win if he if he turns up at, at Newcastle and jumps off. But it's a question of whether he jumps off, and that's why he's a nine to four shot and not a 
not a five to four shot, um, which I think he probably would be in in other circumstances. Constitution Hill, of course, is going to be about a sixes on shot uh, for the fighting fifth hurdle. I mean, all things being equal, he should just turn up and win. But that's not going to deter a man like Huey Morrison, who's taking him on with not so sleepy, a horse who's won the race before. In fact, he dead heated in it memorably with uh, Epaton, Constitution Hill stable companion, a couple of years ago. He'll need a new jockey because Johnny Burke will be riding Love Envoy. More of that in a moment. But first of all, I asked Huey Morrison how his old warrior was in the run-up uh, to this weekend. Well, you know, he's, he, um, I think he ran a good... He had a couple of items to the race course. Well, obviously, Newbury was a great result. And he actually, if you analyse the... F- the handicap form and everything. He actually ran the best he's ever run in the K, in the Cesarovic. Uh, the fact he can finish seventh or eighth, he wasn't beaten that far. So I actually felt that he could probably probably came a bit quick after Newbury, and we freshened him up since. Um, and you know, all the signs with him have been very good this in the last couple of weeks. So, well, you know, we're quite hopeful for a, a good run. I think we'd like soft ground. I think that helps him. Just slows down the speed horses. Um, but you know, if it's if we don't get stopped by the frost, we'd like a bit more rain on Friday night, Saturday, and make it make it the ground as a a level where they can't. It's difficult to quicken. Now, Constitution Hill is making his eighth lifetime start. Um, if you don't include his point to point, uh, not so sleepy will be making his sixty fifth lifetime start. He is a he is a bit freakishly unusual, isn't he? What what is it that's made him what he is? I um pretty individual, but also pretty accomplished. Uh, he's obviously got a very very good engine. Um, he's you know you don't uh, win first time as the two year old and still still going at eleven eleven unless you're you've got a very strong constitution. Uh, I, you know he's he must be sound for horse to, to to do what he's doing. Um, day in day out he goes up the gallops and puts what well, he looks he puts his heart in it i suspect underneath it all he's always just looking after himself but he, there's a lot of pretense uh, maybe I, I was looking at some he's, he's got a very strong constant you know he's got strong he's not big you see he's a he's a, like a rubber ball he's 454 kilos racing weight there won't be many jumpers that that light any number of jockeys have ridden this horse going all the way back to George Baker, who won his maiden on him. You might be looking for a new rider on Saturday because Johnny Burke's likely to have to ride Love Envoy in the race. Have you given any thought to that? Yeah, that, that's a bit bit on my sort of list of things to do this morning. It's to see who's who's available, really. Um, and it probably might depend a bit on the ground as well, on other courses, and uh, who we, who all who think they can get a ride there and who will want to go there. So... Uh, to ride in a grade one so you know that's that's a bit of a problem we've got to sort, try and solve it in the next day or two yeah, but you had a nice winner yesterday secret squirrel um looks a, a quite a prospect at uh, at kempton i thought yeah he, he's obviously not he's you know when he won his bumper and that's before Cheltenham this year we'd hoped he'd run okay uh but he proved then that he was pretty smart um and i think again yesterday he proves that he's he's not just a a fun, ha- a fun handicapper. Hoped he might be a, a really good handicapper. Um, and he he's bred by by your wife Mary as well, uh, who's bred some tremendous horses from fairly 
fairly limited amount of mares. I mean, not not just her own horses, but also Black Lion was a was a wonderful um, ad- advert for her her breeding talents. So quite an unusual pedigree as well by your sprinter stimulation out of a double trigger mare. Well, he, he wasn't actually a sprinter. Um, he won over six furlongs first time out as a two year old, but he he won a admittedly seven furlongs of that sprinting. I think that's open to debate. He definitely got a mile. He was actually not. Be, he was only. He was fourth in the Prince of Wales as a four-year-old when he was suffering from. He had a ongoing injury, uh, so he actually showed he can stay. And <clears throat> I think I was reading the other day somebody lamenting the fact that all the jumpers are slow. Well, is it surprising because all everybody's been using, dare I say, it, slow flat horses? They might be you know mile and six, six horses, which you know I know aren't slow, but relative to the what they're passing on they 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 are slow and maybe the the jumping industry of mr trick and you know we've had we had one exceptionally good bumper horse by stimulation who sadly split a te- intestine when he won a bumper by 20 lengths on boxing day a few years ago so i think i think the national hunt industry uh, uh have come a bit um blinkered as was as was very much the case in the sales i think uh, over in Ireland, we mm. recently were only walk in the park and blue Brazil were being bought. Yes, that was pretty extraordinary. We talked about it quite a bit on the on the pod the other day. Uh, I, I was looking at this horse's pedigree, and I, I remember you know, Mayfair Minx as the dam of marble arch, your your champion hurdle runner up. What I hadn't realised was that she herself was a, a half sister to the, the old grand old Vulgan warrior for National Hunt pedigree geeks. This is a proper old fashioned British jumping pedigree back in the book. Size like Saint Columbus in there as well. I mean, no wonder you need to put a bit of pace in there. Yeah, exactly, and and, and the, the irony is that the dam of, of Secret Squirrel, Secret Squirrel's first foal, won a bumper. She was small, she struggled. So rather than keep her going in in a low, very low races, uh, Mary gave her away to be a riding horse to have a nice life, and she was a riding horse for three or four years. And I think she got passed on to somebody else, and they rang us up and said, "Oh, by the way, this horse has got this." Double trigger's got navicular. Uh, we're about to put her down. So the lorry was le- left immediately, picked her up, took her down to my brother's stud, Fonthill's stud, and this is the result. And the exciting thing is that she's got a full brother to this horse who's two, who's already been ridden. He's, he spent the summer being ridden, uh, broken in, and then came in for a couple of months. And he's a sort of split image of um, Secret Squirrel. He's now been turned out for the winter, but he could he could be even better mm. that was trainer huey morrison lovely stories there uh, both about secret squirrel yesterday's winner at kempton and not so sleepy good luck to him as he makes his 65th race course appearance what a tremendous animal he is i broke his maiden as a two-year-old at nottingham still running in grade one races rising 12 jonathan harding is still with me uh, and jonathan for all this has been um, a fairly jolly show so far uh we've once again had some very significant news from the government to uh, temper any jealousy we might have about the game. You've written this story up for the Racing Post. Uh, the Betting and Gaming Council have intervened in, in an article on Politics Home this morning that is well worth reading. Just tell me what's happening. Yeah, and I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, Nick, but um, racing has been slightly blindsided. I mean, racing and indeed number 10 and DCMS on this one. Um, of course, already 
battling with affordability checks and the proposals in the gambling review white paper, which I'm sure listeners will be all too familiar with. Um, but now we have this new potential uh, threat to racing's finances, or well, book first bookmaker finances, and then by extension racing's finances. And th- this was hidden in the autumn statement on Wednesday. Uh, the government suggesting that it wanted to replace the current three tax structure on um, sort of betting duty and bring that into a simplified single tax. Now, at the moment, general betting duty and pool betting duty are set at fifteen percent of an operator's profits. Remote gaming duty, which is online casino and games of chance, uh, are set at 21%, I think quite rightly, because there's different margins for bookmakers, there's less risk for them. And as we all know, but need to continually stress, betting on a an online roulette machine is an entirely different pastime and hobby to betting on sport. Now, we are slightly, uh, not guessing, we're drawing logical conclusions in that were those uh, three different uh, betting taxes brought in line, the logical conclusion would be that general betting duty and pool betting duty might be raised from 15% to 21%. Now, the Betting and Gaming Council, uh, which represents major bookmakers, um, sort of a, a lobbying group, might not be quite right, an industry body, has come out and, and broken its silence yesterday and said that this would be a hammer blow to racing's finances were online gambling tax rates to be increased it said that the chancellor uh, of the exchequer jeremy hunt must not use this proposed simplification of gambling tax as a quote trojan horse to raise taxes on bookmakers which would of course have a a huge knock-on effect for racing and and bookmakers involvement in that in terms of sponsorship its margins on racing the the offers it can offer punters so I'm afraid to say it, it looks like bad news, but we're still slightly colouring in the detail at the moment. What was most eye-catching here, and, and I've alluded to it there, was that the BGC suggested the Treasury had not consulted the Department for Culture, Media and Sport, which has a responsibility for, of course, racing and, and gambling as well, it, it was suggesting this was a, a bolt from the blue. So hugely concerning um, and one that will develop and roll on in the coming weeks just a quick reflection on the japan cup with you if i may courtesy of a couple of ratings organizations now timeform have been pushing this out quite extensively the last day or two rating of 136 for equinox makes him the joint highest rated japanese horse since they first published ratings for japan in 1997 jointly with el condor passer who was second to manger in the arc and two ahead of a deep impact lord canaloa etc and 136 makes him the best horse in the world this year by three pounds, according to time form, 136, 133, 131 Westover. I mean, I said he could give Westover 10 pounds and thrash him, never mind five pounds, which caused a bit of aggro on social media yesterday with people still not realizing that Japan have the best horses in the world and have done now for about a decade. And this r- absurd uh, across... Um, country uh, bias towards europe european horses is has got to be has got to be rethought i mean anyone who watched the japan cup jonathan and didn't realize that that horse could tonk any other thoroughbred in the world clearly hasn't been watching much racing no and i mean i watching it but actually watching it live in fact it was great to be able to do that it looked almost like a simulation it didn't the way he quickened the way 
almost felt like it was I wasn't watching a real race it was almost like a virtual race it was just extraordinary and and then you start to look at the the quality of the horses he's beating these aren't average horses that he's powering away from he's done it over and over again in top races and also away from home and I mean like you say Westover a seriously good horse in his own right he's had Mostadaf behind him in Dubai these are decent benchmarks really and against them he has been far and away the best horse in the world one horse who sadly we won't be seeing again on the race course even if we do see equinox again is the kentucky derby winner of 2023 mage uh, he has been retired to airdrie stud and he's just picked up a small injury we've been following this horse's story right from his early days in florida and so it was a source of great joy particularly to this podcast when he did win the kentucky derby it's been a less happy chapter since particularly given how ambitious the plans were for him we thought he might be one of these hard knocking horses who was around for a little while bucking recent trends it's not to be, sadly. And the record of recent Kentucky Derby winners in terms of their impact has been rather disappointing. That said, we shall always celebrate what Mage has done. And we can do so now in the company of uh, his co-owner, Ramiro Restrepo. And Ramiro, it seems entirely fitting, really, that uh, I should I should make this call and, and square the circle. Well, Nick, you were you were there uh, from from day one. It's been pretty amazing to have shared in in the journey with yourself and and the listeners all over the world. It's in it's it's been a special platform. So uh, thanks for the call. Not at all. And that very happy day when you won the Kentucky Derby will live long in the memory for so many reasons. Just tell us why the journey, this part of the journey, has has come to an end. Uh, sure, you know he. Um, he was up in Kentucky, and we were just uh, getting ready to bring the last load of horses down here uh, to Gulfstream Park in, in uh, South Florida and kind of just game plan what the plans were for 2024. You know, we ha- we ambitiously were hoping for a Pegasus, Saudi, and Dubai uh, triple. Uh, that was really, you know, the, the meat and potatoes of coming back as a four-year-old. You really don't have a, an opportunity to run for close to $40 million dollars you know, like that. And, um, you know, just a, a year end routine checkup that we do with, with the majority of our horses, especially the, the ones who, who run in, 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 in high profile graded stakes. Uh, we just discovered a little, a little minor issue, but one that would cause them to miss all of those early season goals. And, uh, you know, you have to start factoring in, you know, your responsibility to, to the horse, to the shareholders, you know, the, um, the fiscal responsibilities that come with, with, um, you know, having a horse of this caliber and, um, you know, you just have to kind of do right by the situation overall. And, and, uh, he's, he's heading home to Airdrie stud. So he's over there now and settled in quite comfortably and I'm sure he'll be enjoying his second career. Extraordinary journey. Um, how's he changed your life? Oh, it's, it's been, um, something that, um, (laughs) you can't even script, in in a movie, Nick, uh, it's given us uh, the ex- the exposure um, to a lot of people in racing who didn't know us prior to. It's been a dream come true to win a race that you know <laughs> uh, defines uh, thoroughbred racing. It's it's a holy grail, and uh, we were able to experience that amazing journey with our friends, with our family, and and all because of this racehorse. So it, it's been a, a special special thing that we can all share in these beautiful memories together. And um, it's increased our profile at the sales, 
um, for myself personally, I mean, my bloodstock business has, has um, received, received an uptick that uh, I could only attribute to, to major success. And, you know, the rest of the partners and the trainer themselves, they've they've gone out and, and branched out and done a lot, a lot of nice things because of Mage as well. So, you know, it, it's something that uh, if I ever have children, my firstborn male will have to be named Mage. <laughs> let's hope you have girls um ramiro <laughs> ramiro thanks so much and all the very best no thank you nick and uh, i'll be seeing you soon for sure all right tuesday it is which means one thing that we go around the bloodstock world uh, in conjunction with our good friends at weatherbees and worth noting that um the weatherbees registered stallions are not just in the stallion book but also on the excellent nhstallions.co.uk website if they are plying their trade for the National Hunt Game. The 2024 Stallion book has just come out and you will find several such stallions at Knockhouse Stud, which is located in the heart of one of Ireland's premier breeding regions. The 450-acre farm is now home to a team of stallions offering breeders pedigree performance potential and return on investment and were once home to the great uh, Rosalia, Taipan, Remainder Man and many more. I'm delighted to be joined by uh, Sean Kinsella, who is, uh, I'm right, I think, in saying... Um, third generation uh, proprietor of Knockhouse Stud. Is that right, Sean? That's right, yeah. So so tell me tell me the beginning. Tell me where it all started. Uh, back in the 40s and 30s, 40s, the grandfather stood down and then my father was involved. Then for a number of years, they went out. In 1970, we went back with one horse. He had a horse covered in a half-blood mare. Dilly hair came out of car. And then it evolved away from that. Then we got into the the staff of the jump and job. Then with Jason Fellow, you ever heard of him? Yeah, I did. Mandalus was another. They were, and then it progressed on. A lot of them stood a short time, you know, a year or two or three. And uh, then Rosalia was born, and the rest then was history. I mean, Rosalia is the the stallion that I guess has d- defined the stud. I mean, for those with shorter memories it's just worth reminding ourselves of some of the of some of the horses that he sired i mean i could just go over the say 10 off the top of my head sunny bay carville's hill the listener monet's garden kingsmark royal athlete senor albatruti the gray monk burkdale one night i mean when i was really getting into the game these were the horses i mean was there was there a finer sire of a staying chaser you, you could put a load up on him there in California. Sonny Bay was probably one of the toughest ever. He was beaten in, I think it was the Welsh National, my day. And he, gave, he carried two stone more than the horse that uh, beat him. He should, on uh, level ways, he's have won it by a fence. But, you know, I think he was one of the toughest and toughest that ever ran. Although the others were brilliant as well. But I always think of Sonny Bay. And Carville's Hill was Carville's Hill was probably the most naturally talented, wasn't he? But unfortunately, couldn't get from one side to the other properly. Yeah, yeah, he was too big. That was his trouble. He always had trouble with his back, and he'd be flying one bit, and the next day he couldn't make it. It's the problem with a lot of big horses. Very hard to keep them, keep them uh, sound, and keep them right. You get one day and not another one. So after after Rose Elliott, how difficult was it for for you all to kind of maintain that legacy and and. You know, what What then were you trying to, to look for and to achieve? You bought a, a nice horse that could stamp his stock. That was basically what... It's the same at the present moment. Was get a nice horse, sound, 
and that will deliver. And after one proper fold, you know whether a stallion is any good or not. Because if you don't put nice stock on the ground, he's no good to me, or he's no good to you as a mayor owner. That's my... You know very quick, you don't have to wait forever. If they don't stamp their stock, they're not a lot of good. And, and that... So, so would you would you be ruthless? Is the wrong word, but would you be quite quick to move a stallion along if that first crop isn't isn't quite what you wanted? Yeah, you may as well because the public is not going to use them anyhow. It's as simple as that. You know that they use them and he'd get them. See, he could be slow to get winners, but if he gets a nice big horse that he carry, as I say, he carry me and you. Do you know and that. He's up to things, they're sound and they have an attitude and if they have the wrong attitude, they're no good. Jordan Rose was a typical example of that. He stood showing he was a thief when he did his race there, they have loads in front of me here. He won he won a race one day by distance, but like he stopped they wouldn't get three miles in the horse box. They were so such thieves and thieves, you know. So that, that that is that comes into it. You have to have soundness and everything. We have others as well that were the same. Just wouldn't give it, and if they don't give it, they're not going to be bleeding properly. So they have to be sound of heart, of limb, and of mind. Now, the stallions that you've got at the moment are a really interesting, eclectic group of horses: uh, Workforce, Tiruanaco, uh, Cap Rock, Libertarian, Valt Koenig, and and now you've just added Oren Naveen as well. I, I look at these and I'm trying to see the common thread and sometimes I can't quite see the common thread and I'm thinking, right, well, what is Sean seen here in all of these that he that he likes as a as a specimen or as a, a pedigree? What 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 are you going for? Yeah, size nowadays. You need a horse now. You wouldn't want to be any smaller than 16, 2 to 3 to stand them. So the mares are all getting smaller with breeding, breeding, breeding. Uh, the mares are not 15 and and some of them smaller. But yeah, if you can't put size in, you come to the fold, say, and if you haven't the fold, that's way big. They come in to inspect to go to the any of the store sales. If your horse is not 16, 1, 2, 3, you're going no place. So Size now is important, and they put in size. Workforce, that's why it is brilliant. Like, you get fine beat stars. Philly is 16, 2, and 3. So that's him. Tarano, as I call him, is the same. While Connick, we have to wait and see. All of them horses are all big. Big, big, big. The smallest horse we have is Cap Rock, 16, 2. 16, 3. Around a V, almost 17 hands. 16, 3, 17. And then you need... Like the beneficial mayors, now a lot of them weren't big mayors, but the big horse then is he in on top of them, like you, you get a nice, uh, still correct, in general type of horse. You know, there, there, there are certain bloodlines or certain mayors that are very good as brood mayors, but beneficial now would be grand bull mayors. There's others as well, but you took, we have four or five mayors by ourselves here. We buy more than we could get. And just in terms of what your, what your, um, future proofing is, if you see what I mean. How how do you how are you going to keep the stud going into the next into the next generation? How do you move with the times? The focus always. Yeah, be focused every day. Same with the stud. You go through so many. Uh, it, 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 there's no point in bringing home every horse you meet. And if you don't like him today, if you offer to you in five years' time, and you went back and look and you disliked him more because if he doesn't suit the job today, he doesn't suit it down the road. Well, Sean, I wish you all the best with your new stallion. I wish you all the best with all these stallions. It's been really interesting to talk to you. And um, 
I shall remember that the bigger the bigger is the better, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to run into one another soon. Yeah, I'd love to, and thanks again. All right, before we go. I would just like to alert you to the fact that the shortlist for each category in the Godolphin Thoroughbred Industry Employee Awards is now out. That's the shortlist of 10 in each of the six categories. On behalf of all the fellow judges, I'd like to thank everyone who nominated in what's been a really strong year. The nominations were up and wish everybody who has been shortlisted good luck in the next round of judging, which will begin very shortly. An incredibly uh, big effort from all the team at the BHA who have uh, reached out to the the trainers and the stud uh, managers to to nominate, and you have heeded their their call. We still would like more next year. Of course we would. We always want more, but it's a a great um, entry this year, and thank you so much to everyone who's nominated. Right, Jonathan Harding's with me. He's got a tip for you to send you home. Certainly do. It's number three, Mountain Leopard in the 210 at Southall. Uh, has form on heavy ground, which is going to be very important, having had a look at the, the conditions there. Trained by a certain Venetia Williams, who is absolutely flying. So in, in what looks like quite a competitive race, that just gives Mountain Leopard the edge for me. All right, Jonathan, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. A reminder, if you do enjoy this podcast, please do leave us a rating and a review wherever you consume it. We will see you again tomorrow. That was Tuesday, November the 28th. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.